Welcome to Intel's Conversations in the Cloud. I'm your host, Jake Smith. Join me as I speak with guests from across the world about the latest advancements in cloud and edge computing, data center technology, network infrastructure, security, artificial intelligence, and more. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Jake Smith, and welcome to another episode of Conversations in the Cloud. I am joined today by David Punyatin, CEO and founder of ActiveLoop. Welcome, David. Thanks, Jake. Super excited to be here. I'm so glad you are, too. ActiveLoop is one of the leaders in deep learning technology and building data lakes. Can you talk a little bit about your background? Talk about some interesting facts about ActiveLoop and your relationship and how you've spun out of a neuroscience research project. I love this. This is great. So, Navi, could you give our listeners a little insight? Sure. So, I came to U.S. to start my Ph.D., at Princeton University, and I got into a Princeton neuroscience lab where we were working with this field called connectomics. And connectomics is mostly focused on understanding how the brains make decisions. And what we were doing is we were taking one millimeter volume of a mouse brain, cutting into very thin slices, imaging each slice, and then using computer vision to separate the neurons, find the connections, build the graphs, so and later neuroscientists at the lab can do research to understand how the brain works and what are more like biologically inspired algorithms that can enable better machine learning algorithms. And the problem that we had is that the volume of this small part of the brain to store was petabyte scale and processing that on the cloud was costing us millions of dollars. And our goal was to reduce the cost up to five times by rethinking how the data should be stored, how it should be streamed from the storage to the computing machines. Should we use CPUs? Should we use GPUs? What kind of models to use? And those insights helped us to start the company. So four years ago, we applied to Y Combinator, which is a startup accelerator here in Bay Area. And we got accepted, raised a couple of rounds of financing afterwards. And we have been working with early companies to help them to be better at machine learning. One company had 18 million text documents and there was problem was to build a search engine across all the patents. Another company we worked with, they had aerial imagery of petabyte scale to provide insights to the farmers where there's a disease on the field or dry down area. And what we have found out is that all these companies doing deep learning have been lacking a data infrastructure because you have all these awesome databases, data warehouses, data lakes, now so-called lake houses that are specialized for analytical workloads. And those are where you want to, hey, give me the past three months of the sales activity I had, or can you forecast what my inventory should be? So more like traditional analytical workloads. But for the new type of unstructured data, where you have images, videos, audio, audio files, and apparently, if you look into today's 90% of the data in the internet is generated in unstructured form, you don't have an infrastructure for that. So we said, okay, why don't we actually go and build the database for AI, or we called it a deep lake, which is a data lake for deep learning applications. We put it open source two years ago. It has been growing super fast. Number two training across all GitHub repositories, number one in Python languages. We build a community of more than 1,000 data scientists and data engineers who are like providing a lot of feedback and also contributing to the project and also evangelizing that without us. I think that's super exciting as a developer tooling. And at the same time, as a company, we raise additional funding and focus on providing the enterprise version is the larger enterprises to be able to kind of 
break their data silos and help them to better manage their data infrastructure for deep learning applications specifically. Yeah, you're really leading the machine learning ecosystem as it grows. And it's very exciting, David. You should be very proud. And I always say that when others in the industry recognize the work that you're doing, that's a validation. You should be very honored, right? Because that means that the work that you've done is really changing the way people think about the future of machine learning. Can you talk about really where you're taking the modern data stack? Can you give us some insight into where the Deep Lake fits into that? We are also super excited with the collaboration that we are pushing forward with Intel on our side. So let me just give you some background as well. So on one hand, you have this awesome like the modern data stack that helps with the processing this analytical workloads with ETL and trying to kind of optimize the business operations of a company. And on the other hand, you have this new, like totally separately, independently grown stack, which we call MLOps tooling that helps to run efficient machine learning operations. And apparently you have on one hand modern data stack, on the other one MLOps, and then both of them are kind of separated and there's not that much tooling that bridges the gaps. Because what MLOps has been focused on is to operationalize and optimize the ML development lifecycle. And the modern data stack has been focused on how can we optimize the analytical workloads, the data infrastructure, the traditional machine learning for the companies. And what we have seen is that there is the M in MLOps, you're missing this huge gap. Where do I store my data? And in the modern data stack is like, how do I deal with this new generation of deep learning applications that are taking over? So what happened over the past 10 years? So modern data stack has been introduced recently, but if you look into there's nothing novel that has been like for the last 20, 30 years, building this big data infrastructure there. What happened is that past 10 years, because of the deep learning revolution, or you can call it evolution, the types of the computation has been shifted. So these new machine learning models, which we call them neural networks, they introduced a novel way of running the computation on top of the data. And it has been growing dramatically. And today you are seeing images fully like realistically generated by those models. You see self-driving cars having a perception using deep learning. You are seeing robotics doing their movements and arms and everything. So this new broad scope of applications that has been introduced because of deep learning has not been captured by modern data stack. So what we focus on Deep Lake is connecting the MLOps and the modern data stack by bridging the data infrastructure piece and then using the best practices, what you have in, in the traditional data stack operations and applying that in the novel ML operations. So it was a long, long ride, but that's what we basically try to do here. Well, and it's the right ride to take. So let's talk, David, even more about what is the performance gains that you've worked with Intel to share? And why did you choose to be a part of the Intel Disruptor program? I know you've got some stuff that's really you know, in progress, but talk a little bit about why the Disruptor program is important to ActiveLoop. Even before starting ActiveLoop, while I was doing research at Princeton, we co-authored a paper where we show that you can actually run neural network computation on CPUs 30% cheaper than on GPUs at scale. So when we deal this petabyte scale, one of the improvements that we shown is actually a big chunk of it was because we run the inference workloads on running CPUs. So that was even before starting the Intel collaboration, but that's one of the motivations that we had behind the scenes where 
our all computation that we run of the deep lake, including running the queries, running the streaming piece, the visualization engine, and how everything is works is mostly run on Intel CPUs. So that's number one. As a company, we're super excited how we can even make this better. How can we make it more efficient with a deeper collaboration with Intel? On the second note, we are already seeing the results of our collaboration, which we are super excited about. What we have done three months ago is we have shown this piece of infrastructure where we had one of the largest datasets publicly available, Lion dataset sitting on AWS S3 in US East, which think of it as like near New York. And then we have on another cloud, on Google Cloud, we have a big machine that has a lot of accelerated compute hardware to run the computation on. And what we shot with Intel is that we can actually very efficiently stream the data from New York to middle US, like basically near Chicago, while utilizing about 80 or 90% of this hardware with very fast streaming that has been running on the CPUs. So that's the first thing that we have shown. I think this was like a kind of a collaboration slash like achievement, of also technology progress on our side. The second thing is actually coming out of Intel meeting earlier this morning. We have seen is that it could be the case that we can improve the operations by four to five times, at least what we have seen, by optimizing the computation that's running on the CPUs. So on one hand, we see a lot of gaps on our implementation. That's like, hey, we can do better. But on the other hand, great, like because of this collaboration, we can push the boundaries of our technology to be better for our customers and users. And, you know, it's really amazing the work you're doing and you're setting a standard for the rest of the industry to follow, which I think is wonderful. Can we talk, you know, philosophically about when you're developing your product and your team is thinking about, you know, these alternative designs and how do you connect data to business uses and how do you use the modern infrastructure on Xeon Scalables to reduce costs? And again, as you said, you've been thinking about this for years and years, even before you founded Active Loop. But let's talk about what are you trying to do to solve customers' problems, their data problems specifically, and how does your design team approach it? I think that's a very good question, is like, how can we map the customer needs to the optimizations that we are doing, let's say, on Intel CPUs. Like we have also this funny joke is like saying running Deep Lake on Intel Ice Lakes. A little lake on lake joke there. I like yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. So we have the core team who is like focused on the low level optimizations, but we have been always trying to push prioritizing the customer user needs versus like the visionary or what would have been the cool technology to build here, etc. And it has been a pretty challenge. Like I imagine like for all data infrastructure Companies, especially when they're trying to craft a new category, in this case, we are saying, hey, for computer vision data, for audio processing data, for natural language processing data, you don't have to use files anymore. That has been the case where the usual developers were using files pre-database era. It's like you are in the same space, hey, data scientist, and there's like much better way to manage your data sets. And the current databases, they're not good fit because they were not designed for this. And hey, here's a better design. So a lot of times when we go and talk to the customers, their biggest, let's call it a competitor, is not that they are using some another tool. They're just like the conventional ways they have been storing their data in this unstructured way has been bottleneck. So coming from that perspective, like understanding what are their usages, we map back into, okay, 
if we improve, let's say, the streaming piece here, will that bring the benefit to the customer? If we improve the querying time, will that bring the benefit to the customer? And some users, they don't operate a billion raw scale. They operate only like, I don't know, 100,000 images, which was a surprise for us because we're like, hey, we should optimize for petabyte scale. But a lot of customers, they are not at that scale at all. So we went back and then sit down and say, hey, where are the things that we can improve their workflows and optimize them so we can make their life much simpler for processing deep learning data. Like, you know, like there's a kind of rule at every 10x scale in computation, you hit some <laughs> unknown previously a problem. So hopefully we can cover that for the infrastructure. That's outstanding. And, you know, I am so excited that you're leading this team. Where can our listeners find out more about ActiveLoop? So, I mean, the first place they can go to ActiveLoop.ai. We have the open source Python package, which DeepLake provides the data lake infrastructure, which is open source. You can also go to deeplake.ai, which has the white paper and the academic paper, where you can go into details how everything has been implemented. And then if you look more at a business person, you can look in to check out the white paper. And you can also sign up and start using now as well on app.activable.ai. And so now we're really in my favorite part of the podcast series. It's a two-part question. What is the future hold, David, for Active Loop, number one. And number two, where's the future of machine learning? Let me try to tackle the question number two. It's a very, very good question. And a lot of innovation has been happening, especially very recently because of the introduction of these foundational models. You have heard about GPT-3, there's GPT-4 coming. You have heard about stable diffusion, DALI. They're now training much larger models to generate better images, better videos, and etc. And what we have been observing is that you have these very large language models or foundational models that try to capture all the data that has been there and generate or basically fine-tune to solve specific problems. For example, some of those models now are solving better SAT problems than 10th grade students are doing. Or they are now like already trying to prove theorems in math than an undergrad will do better or like you have seen the case with AlphaFold that because of deep learning and machine learning, now we can do much better protein unfolding that has been ever possible before. And then obviously self-driving cars now getting into the roads without drivers. That's another big milestone that has happening. And the thing is that it might look happening overnight, but has been built over the last 10 years. And projecting what will happen in the next 10 years is very difficult because humans are very problematic at predicting exponential growth. So what we believe in is that next to five to 10 years, the large language models and foundation models, first of all, they have been only trained on one model data, meaning like the GPT-4 or GPT-3 has been trained on just text. Stable diffusion has been trained on mostly images and maybe text pairs. We believe that those models will start becoming multimodal, where they will add the same take text, audio, video, audio, like whatever humans are capturing, they will be able to capture. Secondly, they will be able to increase the number of parameters to achieve at least what we believe, like how many neuron parameters are inside a human brain. At least they will get there. Now they are currently at about 1% to 5% of that capacity, even though they're already being better at some certain tasks. And I think that the third thing is that AI is... We call it AI or AGI. I'm very bullish on the term itself, but the impact on the economy, on the business is going to be huge. 
the computation itself is already, we are seeing this transition from software 1.0, where the developer is writing on their own, into software 2.0, where you are training a machine learning model. There's one example as well, it's super exciting. Like a year ago, I tried to use this Copilot or Ghostwriter to play around, like assist in my development. It was like a toy. Yesterday, I tried to use the same techniques and I have been able to accomplish something that I haven't been myself as an advanced developer to do, like, you know, 20 minutes without Googling, without any additional search, which has been impressive. So even the way we write code will change. That's what we believe that the future of AI is going to happen. And coming back where we see ActiveLoop to be in that future is to be the data infrastructure, the data layer for enabling all those machine learning models, both to capture the data, train those models, and also put them into production. Amazing. Well, on behalf of the brilliant David Bunyatian, CEO and founder of ActiveLoop, my name is Jake Smith. And this has been another episode of Conversations in the Cloud. Wherever you are in the world, we wish you a good morning, good afternoon, and good night.